You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island, to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Samantha Lee and she's actually from the Redfern Legal Centre in New South Wales. We're going to be speaking with with Sam about the COVID-19 laws and how they should not prevent the public's right to protest. Over the last month or so, this show has done quite extensive coverage on not just the right to protest but also about the increased police powers and also how vulnerable communities are impacted. And we also did a special broadcast on the the towers and how um, there was a, a police response rather than a health response and the towers were locked up for quite some time. It's still stage four restrictions, although some restrictions have been eased. And so we'll speak to Samantha about that, uh, about the, the right to protest today. After Samantha, we'll be speaking with Moz, who is an asylum seeker locked up in the Mantra Hotel in Preston. We spoke to Moz at the beginning of the pandemic, and I wanted to revisit the topic today and discuss what's happening at the Mantra and also the plight of asylum seekers and refugees. I know that there's been quite a lot of coverage in regards to the right to protest, but it is a real concern, and it's not even just about the right to protest. It's also about the disproportionately increased powers of police. No one is suggesting that disease needs to be contained. No one is suggesting that there's no health crisis. Um, I know that there are lots of conspiracy theories out there, that is not what the Doing Time show is about. What we are about is more about looking at this topic and discussing how that is affecting the public and vulnerable communities. So, yeah, next up, first up, sorry, we've got Samantha. The Melbourne Armenian community is raising humanitarian and development funds to help the community back home as they struggle with the devastating impacts of war and conflict. Please consider donating to the Hayastan All-Armenian Fund 
For more details, go to www.himnadram.org forward slash en forward slash donate. Alternatively, you can make a donation by way of direct deposit into the Hayastan All Armenian Fund account at the National Australia Bank, BSB number 083230, account number 946770823. The Hayastan All Armenian Fund is a not-for-profit organization delivering education, healthcare, infrastructure, rural development and housing projects in Armenia. The Armenian General Benevolent Union is a 3CR affiliate and supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. So we're going to be speaking now with, the, with Samantha Lee, who is the Police Accountability Solicitor at Redfern Legal Centre. Hello, Samantha. Welcome to the program. Oh, good to be on again. Thank you. It's lovely to have you. And listeners may recall that, that Samantha has been... A few times, haven't you, um, in regards to looking at increased police powers, although this is actually quite a different climate today, isn't it? Um, there's a lot it that's is. been going on with the COVID and quite unprecedented circumstances, isn't it? It is, uh, though I am based in Sydney, so I must yes. say that I've been um, really admiring the way that uh, Victorians have been getting through this really uh, seems to be in horrendous time. Indeed it is. It's the longest lockdown in the world. Um, can you describe to us, Samantha, and, and thank you for that, describe to us the background to the restrictions in New South Wales and what's actually going on with the right to protest and the COVID-19? Yes, yeah, thanks. Uh, so we still have restrictions here in uh, New South Wales, uh, obviously not to the same extent as what Victoria has been experiencing, but there are still restrictions on gathering. So uh, people cannot gather in more than groups of 20 in, in public places. There's also limits on gathering in the home. There's also limits on the number of people in uh, hospitality areas, restaurants, cafes. Uh, and uh, But what we're seeing, though, is that uh, people are gathering uh, and they are gathering for means of, of protest and that the police are coming quite hard, down hard on people that are gathering. Yes, um, I understand that there was a quite a rough handling of protesters and observers by New South Wales police at, at the University of Sydney protest. Is that right? When was that? That's right. There was a protest just uh, last week. Uh, there were students who were protesting about changes to education and uh, they were, you know, young people, probably in their early 20s uh, and police uh, came along to the protest and really did use force as a first port of call. There was a, a young woman who was really quite slim build and was pulled by police and shoved to the ground. It was a, a terrible image and I'm sure, you know, it's not unusual to people from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander backgrounds, uh, but it was really disturbing to see for me, I think it's really important to note that 
the public health laws are not anti-protest laws and they were never designed to be anti-protest laws. The main purpose of the COVID-19 laws is to reduce the spread of disease. Now, obviously, that's really important. However, it's it's equally important that police understand legal thresholds and abide by legal thresholds and don't act above those legal thresholds. So how are the police using the COVID-19 public health laws as a form of anti-protest legislation? Because that's not the objective, is it? It's not. No, that's right. Uh, but how they are using it that way is that any protest, no matter what it is, uh, um, police are out in force. And even if the protest does uh, involve not more than 20 people gathering, so they actually are abiding by the public health legislation, police have still dispersed those protests Now, as I just stated, there is nothing within the public health orders that say people cannot protest. Even in Sydney, it does not state that at all. And there have been cases where protests have gone ahead, but people have been quite far apart. They've been wearing masks and uh, it's been outdoors. And they have really, uh, from a common sense perspective, have tried to keep their distance. I'm talking about in, even in this recent protest of students being two to three metres apart. Uh, and yet still police have uh, even arrested these people and fined them with these on-the-spot enormously large fines. Uh, as far as Redfern Legal is concerned, we think the application of this law by police has been incorrect is targeting protesters and is targeting the most vulnerable people in our society. What I find really interesting is how would the charges take place? I mean, would that be under the Public Health Act? Because how would they justify Mm. that? Yeah, so under the Public Health Act, there is an offence for not abiding by directions which have been given by the the uh, public, the health minister under these public health orders. The police uh, must, uh, people must obviously be informed about those directions and those rules uh, and people, police must ensure that there, a person has uh, a reasonable excuse to not be abiding by those uh, orders. So the Public Health Acts do allow police to issue what's called an on-the-spot fine um, to persons that they are of reasonable suspicion have breached those orders. However, that does not exclude police from using discretion. So, for example, if someone is at a protest and police attend that scene, if they go up to a student, they can say, look, I I want you to leave this area now. It it seems that you're gathering in, in a in a group more than 20, and I ask you to leave, uh, they can still give cautions and warnings and uh, just ask people to disperse instead of issuing these very large fines and instead of what they are doing is using an enormous amount of force. Now, force should be an absolute last resort and can only be used when uh, 
reasonably necessary in the circumstances. In the scenes that I've seen here in Sydney, uh, the the force is being used uh, not according to law. These students have not uh, exerted any force against police and uh, there's no reason why a young woman should be shoved to the ground and um, injuries caused by police officers. It's very sad, actually, um, and, and I, I find it concerning also that this is, has got absolutely nothing to do with preventing the spread of coronavirus. Well, that's right. I mean, that that is the whole objective of the legislation. It is about uh, reducing the spread of the coronavirus. Now, we've seen uh, on-the-spot fines issued, to exam- for example, to a person who is alone in a car in a in a car park uh, outdoors where no one when no one else is around it's hard to see how someone sitting alone in their car is going to spread covid-19 um uh, to another person uh and, and in fact police are, are, it's silly pulling themselves at risk by uh approaching that person in the car anyway it it really does uh it's beyond belief the way some of these fines are being imposed on people by police and the common sense approach is not being taken. It's it's developing huge amounts of, of revenue for police by issuing these most enormous on-the-spot fines. And these fines, uh, I think, need to be challenged more in the courts. Unfortunately, it takes quite a process to challenge these in the courts, but I think there is room to move with some of these fines. And indeed, is it, isn't it true that the, the protests, the, sorry, that the government and indeed some of the mainstream media has tried to blame protesters for spreading coronavirus, both in Victoria and New South Wales? Well, they have, but I think it has been confirmed by public health officials that uh, there hasn't been the spread of disease from um, these outdoor protests around Black Lives Matters. Uh, in fact, uh, the police... Sorry, not the police, but the uh, the, the health... Uh, yeah. uh, ..director here in Sydney, actually, this morning, uh, noted that... Uh, sorry, no, I should say the Premier noted this morning in New South Wales that being outside is much less risk uh, to the spread of disease than um, being inside in a small uh, uh, sheltered environment. So we all know that being outside is less risk and we know that uh, in some of these protests, people are are trying to keep distance and they're trying to adhere to public health uh, procedures. And for this reason, police should not be issuing fines to these people, at least without giving them reasonable notice to either uh, move on or to, uh, you know, to, to do something else and give them another direction other than issuing them with such a large fine. So what's going to happen? Are, these, are the arrestees going to be taking this further? Are they going to challenge it? Well, we're giving advice to a number of people that have been issued fines, uh, and we do know that there are 
legal practitioners that we're having contact here in New South Wales with who are willing to take on some of these fines and challenge them in the court. A major area that we want to see challenge is this notion of, of what is a gathering. Uh, it is assumed that if a number of people are in the same area uh, and are, uh, a, you know, in some ways in a, in a similar closeness, that that is a, a gathering for, for a common purpose. However, if you take the example of people going down to the beach here, for example, in Sydney, large numbers of people are at the beach for a common purpose of, of going for a swim. Now, police aren't issuing fines to people going to the beach here, but they are issuing fines to people who are uh, participating in a protest. Now, we think that just because people are... Uh, coming near a protest, observing a protest, or even participating in a protest from um, from a number of distances away, this does not necessarily mean that the, the people are gathering as defined under the law, and, and this is an area that we'd like to test in the courts. Absolutely, and, and in fact, at the beaches, what's happening is here in... Victoria is that they're not actually finding people for being at the beach, but for not social distancing. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, this is because there's such uh, wide discretion allowed um, for police in regards to the issuing of these fines. But what we've seen um, through the collection of data, that there is not much discretion at all when it comes to people um, from various backgrounds, particularly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander backgrounds, that these fines are being mostly... Uh, Who's, who's receiving the most blow of these fines is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and also people who have a mental illness. So yes. the discretion is going towards the most vulnerable and those that were policed before these fines came about are just being policed uh, much more. And so what we see again is the most vulnerable in our community having to pay the highest price for these uh, new introduction of these fines and having to pay enormous amounts of money uh, which they don't have, and it just is appalling that uh, the most vulnerable, again, are the ones that uh, get the most uh, hit when it comes to these new laws. I'm not sure if you heard about Chris Breen, who's a Victorian um, refugee um, from the Refugee Action Collective. He's an activist here, and he was arrested mm -hmm. and charged under under incitement the charge of incitement, mm, simply yep. for protesting. And they raided his house and he wasn't even at the protest and they took him away and held him at the police station. Yes, we have had um, a couple of those cases here as well where um, if a person has organised, for example, a protest, uh, then they have been captured for inciting uh, again, these types of offences and charges uh, need to be tested in, in the courts and uh, that's where we get probably a bit better outcome or interpretation as to the extent of these laws. Uh, but some people are being very poorly and unfairly targeted by police when it comes to these COVID-19 fines. Absolutely. It's, it's... And indeed... <laughs> The arrests included University of Sydney law professor Simon Rice, who was a bystander at the protest last week, and he was forced to the, the ground by police. 
Yes, it's actual footage of uh, Professor Rice uh, and his interactions, or I should say the interactions of police with him. Uh, again, he was uh, just observing what was going on. Uh, he was not participating in the protest. And it just symbolises how police are, are just going to these these protest areas and all guns are blazing and, and just... Well, I shouldn't say firearms are out, but they are. What yeah. they are actually doing is just going after anyone, anyone who is around the area, not even asking any questions. And not only that, they the first protocol is to be aggressive and use force. Now that is not acting according to law, and what from what I saw from the footage, it was appalling behaviour, and this type of behaviour needs to be pulled in from the commissioner level. Indeed it does, and in particular, it's not only vulnerable communities, but it's also people that, that were innocently standing by. That's right. It, it, you know, it does beg belief about why police feel that what they should be doing is just going into an area where people are not actually doing anything except for sitting on the ground and observing and taking physical control of that person and using force against that person. Now, what are they relying on to use that sort of power? I would argue that there is no power that they're relying on to actually use that type of behaviour. And this type of action by police is unlawful and people that have been subject to that type of police aggression It'd be great if they came forward and sought advice and see what can be done, either in a terms of a civil action against police uh, or also if they were issued a fine to actually seek a review of that fine. Samantha, it's been really great um, talking to you about all this. And I'm just... Con- also, one final question, just in regards to... New South Wales, is, is there a state of emergency in New South Wales like Victoria? That's a good question. I don't, from um, recollection, I, I'm of the view it's not at that level, uh, that it was at that at the beginning in, in March, uh, but that would probably have to be confirmed because I haven't uh, checked that for some time. That's okay. Yeah, no, the reason why I asked is because in Victoria they actually have a state of emergency until April. And what that means is that, you know, the, these these police powers are increased automatically through that state of emergency. Mm. And it is most concerning because you're looking at, you know, what's going to happen after this, you know, after the state of emergency ends. And, and also in New South Wales too, will these police powers still be in evidence? Look, I, I think there has, you know, there's been a lot of concern about that across the country. Uh, the orders here are in place for a specific period of time, but there has been extension and talk of extension of orders. I can't say these types of powers continually uh, without any end in sight. I think that would be alarming and, and would cause too much concern with the general public if that was the case. But I think what we really need to be concerned about is the uh, example these laws have set in regards to 
how police can be issued new powers very quickly and how these powers can be uh, put in force and do the detriment of the most vulnerable people in the, in the community. And that we really do need to be aware that when a new power comes into play, particularly for police, it is going to impact on the most vulnerable. Samantha, thank you so much for coming onto the program and we better watch and see what happens. Um, I'm hoping that all of these all of these powers are dropped eventually. I know in Victoria it is an extremely strict lockdown at the moment to the extent that we've even had kilometres placed on us. We were, up until up until yesterday we had mm. five kilometres five kilometre limit. Mm. It is incredibly restrictive, isn't it? And it's you know it, it's so difficult for some families to adhere to that stuff. It's okay if you, uh, from you know, a certain kind of household where you've got five rooms or something available. But there are so many different types of homes and family makeups in a society that it's not an equal playing field out there. Definitely not. Samantha, thank you so much, and we'll certainly um, send you an email when the podcast becomes available. It was lovely to have you. Any final comments? I just wish everyone uh, in Victoria the very best. And I, as I said, I'm in awe of how much you've been able to comply with such a huge amount in such a short amount of time. In, in, sorry, in, in terms of not a short amount of time for you, but in, in, in these laws have come in very quickly and have imposed huge amount of restrictions on many people. Samantha, thank you so much. It was, it was lovely to chat with you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi, we're the Marindas and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855am. The current world in which the higher education sector operates is characterised by profit and power. And as universities are further incorporated into global neoliberalism, these ideas of the public good face the most serious threat that they have ever faced. COVID pandemic, besides highlighting all of the other fissures in society, has also really highlighted the terrible inequalities that have long existed within the sector. The precarity, the overwork, declining mental health caused by intensifying privatization and the privileging of profits at all costs, and students who should be our co-learners in this process face mounting debt. If this pandemic has done nothing else, it has shown us that this system in its current iteration is unsustainable. We have to organize and fight against it. There is no other way. There is no alternative to quote somebody who shall remain nameless. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1800 729 367. That's 1800 729 
367 10am to 6pm every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time Show, 3CR Community Radio. And next up we've got Moz, who is currently being locked up at the Mantra Hotel in Preston indefinitely. And Moz is an asylum seeker and we have spoken to him previously. And he's also a wonderful activist and musician and has also appeared as a, as a speaker um, by video link or phone um, at numerous rallies. Hello, Moz. Welcome to the program. Hi, Marissa. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Oh, you're a bit... Can you speak up just a tiny bit more, Moz? Yeah? Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, I am going to express my sincere appreciation to you wonderful people who helped us to keep the connection with our family and friends. Now I have my phone like before, and they couldn't take the phone. Without your help, it was not possible. You proved that the power of people is stronger than politicians. The architects of this cruel bill uh, wanted to disconnect us from our family and friends, and you helped us to have uh, this connection with our families. Thank you very much. Oh, Moz, that's great, because, uh, I mean, they were going to take the phones away through the bill, weren't they? Yeah, uh, you know, they wanted to disconnect you also from the yes. atrocities they are inflicting upon us. They didn't want uh, any news come out from these torture centers, and uh, they spent billions of dollars for these uh -huh. places with your taxes. And uh, I don't look at it as a small victory because um, this victory is going to bring freedom for uh, the refugees, and because our voice is heard, and uh, people always care about us. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's not easy, Moz. And so, just in case new listeners have tuned in, Moz, can you just explain to listeners where you are and how long you've been in the, in the Mantra Hotel? And what happened? Yes. Uh, on 11th of November, I arrived in Australia, in Melbourne. Uh, Last year? I was on Manus for... Yeah. I was on Manus and Port Morsi for... In, uh, in the detention center for six and a half years. I was tortured mentally and physically there. And for medical help under the Medivac bill, we refugees were transferred to Australia, but instead of treatment, we are receiving punishment. They locked us up. We have been locked up on the third floor of the Mantra Hotel in Melbourne, in Preston, and after two, more than 2,600 days, um, we don't hear anything from from the politicians. It is obvious that uh, refugee lives do not matter for most of politicians in Australia. We are just numbers for them. 
and we have been chosen uh, to be tortured. They just playing game with our life. Um, this system of torture, this government, uh, have attempted to convince the Australian people that refugee life, uh, that refugees are less than human. It makes it easier for them to justify the abuses they are inflicting upon us. But we know that refugee lives do matter for most of people in Australia. So if you see the history, uh, in 2001, asylum seekers were accused of throwing children overboard. And since then, refugees are called bad people, dangerous criminals. But we know that, you know, I, I see that many wonderful people are protesting for us, caring for us, and it helps us to be uh, positive, to be strong. Without your help, we cannot be alive. When I see that you people are protesting, when I see you are caring for us, it helps us to keep uh, ourselves so you so you came here at around the time that the Medivac bill was there, and then when that was that was blocked, that was actually scrapped from the Senate. You're stuck here now, and you were meant to have treatment here. Is that right? Medical yes. treatment. They kept us here for treatment, but there is no any treatment. Two hours ago, I had a sleep like many times, they gave us sleep to see IHMS. I went to IHMS room, and I said that this is a sleep. I got it, and I am here. And, you know, the psychologist said that we are just here to, uh, to check you are okay or not. And I said I am not okay because the officers coming to our room 10 times a day, several times a day. How can I be okay? Oh. And uh, I talk with IHMS a lot that uh, these kind of things are happening. And they said we are aware of that, but we cannot do anything. If you have any issue with officers, talk with the manager. But when I talk with the manager, they say talk with ABF. When I talk with ABF and they say we cannot do anything. And they say that, yes, this is a torture center, but we cannot do anything. And our lives are just, you know, they are just wasting our lives. How many of you are there, Moss? Um, we are approximately 65 refugees. And if you don't mind me asking, what, what are the health problems that you experience? I suffer from PTSD and asthma, but PTSD is very, um, very bad. I try to just um, find a way to help myself to be strong. And um, I had a very difficult time, especially before the pandemic, when, the, when we had the chance to go to Maida for walking. You know, we haven't, we have been deprived of sunlight. Can you imagine there is no sunlight here? So we had this option before pandemic to go to Maida. 
and they did patterns. And I told them that I don't like to be patterns. It it hurt me. And what, they what means it? Sorry, my body. Patterns, you know, they they search our body. Oh they, yes, yes. Um, so several times a day, they patterns me because I went to my talk when I came back to Mantra, they did patterns again when I wanted to visit a friend um, for one hour downstairs with lots of cameras and officers around me. They did patterns when their visit finished, they did patterns again. I got a big um, mental problem. I talked with them that I don't want anyone touch touch me. And uh, my mental health is getting uh, worse day by day because not just only me, other refugees also here, they are spending 23 hours a day in a room. Can you imagine you are in a room for all the time? Just, you know, the size of my life now is, my life is uh, the size of a room and a narrow corridor, and also a kitchen when I want to drink tea. For one year, this is my life. But I am, uh, I never lose my hope because I see how many uh, wonderful people are caring for us, and thank you very much for all your support. So, Moz, so you're in the room 24 hours a day. You don't, you, you don't go outside? We, we cannot go uh, outside this building. There is a small place downstairs um, for people when they want to go to a small core. But there is no any sunlight. There's something I've always wanted to ask, Moz, and that is what plans does the Australian government has, have I mean, have you been told, have you been given any date of when you're going to be leaving? Um, this is an indefinite detention. And what I have learned and what I have seen since seven years, they never say any positive words. And they call us detainees and they never show any smile or uh, positivity. They always want to destroy our soil our soul, and they want to um, break our heart. And uh, here, the government, especially Alan Kaj, the Minister of Immigration, I have heard his talking when uh, in a radio station. He, he said that uh, ref refugees has the option to go to America today. But uh -huh. it's not... It, this is a big lie. It's not possible. Many people here want to go to America, but it's not possible for them. They are they got their refugee status years ago, but they are still locked up. I know one of them who got positive from America. He is in Mantra. Yep. And two or three months ago, he got his um, positive for going to America, but. He's locked up here. They don't so it didn't really America. happen? No, it's, it's not. 
he lies to people. He, this is a big lie. Yeah. So, so basically what you're saying is that the, it, it was a lie in that they weren't really going to America. They postponed, you know, they, you know, they killed the time. Once a while, they send a few refugees to America, but they don't have any option. It is not available for everyone to go yes. to America for different reasons. Oh, I see. Uh, some of them, I know that their family are living in Australia. They cannot go to America. Uh, some of them, America rejected their cases because of their race. For example, I know a couple of Tamil refugees here. They have been rejected. But they are, they are refugees. They got their refugee status when they were on Manus. But they cannot go to America now. They want to be free. I see what you're saying. Uh, going to America is not really a good idea anyway. Exactly. It's, uh... oh, sorry, it's pretty bad over there with coronavirus. Very bad. Um, apart from COVID-19, I don't think democracy is no. uh, something with guns and lots of... Um, Torturing. That place is very difficult. When Absolutely. Moz, what supports can can the community offer in the short term for people in the Mantra? Are, are we are we allow are people allowed to drop off food parcels or anything or no? Um, we are not allowed to receive any food or medication from our friends and family in the community. I uh, remember sometimes uh, some of my friends send chocolate or yeah. biscuits to us, but um, circle manager put it in the rubbish bin. And I said, I want to send it back to my friend. Why do you put it in rubbish, rubbish bin? Oh. And she said, this is a rule. We cannot do anything. Very cruel. Policy and also there is a clinic across the road. They wanted to help us many times, and uh, ABF stopped them to help us. And IHMS told me that there is a process when someone is sick, even for citizens in Australia, it takes several times, several months if they want to see a doctor. But this is not true. Outside this building, many I know many nurses and doctors uh, uh, want, want to help us. But this system stopped them to help us. So you've been in detention seven years and you've gone to quite a few detention centres all over Australia. And the Australian government has failed you and the Medivac bill is no longer. So you're stuck in limbo. So we need to actually mobilise the Australian Australian people, mobilise the Australian government to do something about this. You can't stay there forever. It's ridiculous. What I want from the Australian government is uh, to, to listen what people want. One, more than 100,000 people voted... Uh, no to 
to Jackie Lambie, they said that we don't want the government take the phone from refugees. Uh-huh. I am sure these people want us to be free also. 96% of uh, the voters uh, wanted us to have the phone. I am sure these people want us to be free also. Yes. And many people care about us. But the question is that why the Australian government don't listen to people? Yeah, well, we need to we need to do something about it. And this is actually ongoing. We need to, to get organised with all this. Tell me about your music. What's happening with your music at the moment and how can people get hold of it to listen? Um, the, the recent song that I released is Love and uh, it's about uh, when I saw people came here and protested for us and I look at them from the window and the inspiration came to me, and I wanted to write something for all of you people who are caring for us, because I feel the reason that I am alive is because of this kind of support, this kind of help, and giving us hope. And this uh, this song is about love. And... Uh, I always say that more than 2,600 days I have been locked up in detention. But my message to people in Australia is love. We are people seeking uh, safety and freedom. We are not criminals. And I am sure you people uh, know about our situation and you people know about the meaning of love and humanity and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. Moz, keep up the good work and uh, keep charging that mobile phone and use that as a tool to help you. And and I'm sorry, also I, I just wanted to ask, what country are you from? I'm Kurdish. You're Kurdish, that's right. And your family are... Uh, Yes, all of my family are in my homeland, and I am in touch with them. It's good. Uh, the, the pandemic is very huge over there. But when I see them, when they see me, when I have video call, when I see their smile, it helps me to be strong. Let's hope that all of you are released soon. Um... And I'm hoping that you can get the medical care that you, you deserve and need. Thank you so much. I'm having a wonderful day. Miles, I'm hoping we can have you back very soon. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Thanks for having me. Take care. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. 
lasting delusion about children trapped in tunnels. That's how we got Aussie Q, it seems. And now everything else. I mean, now it's just a six-month pipeline from that to Australians who, who, who live in this alternate uh, American fantasy land where they post about Donald Trump all the time. So its ability to via Save the Children stuff to get a whole range of different political persuasions in is what I found fascinating, you know. I talk a lot in the Aussie Q videos about how your auntie, she might not be that far right wing now, but she might be quite left. She might just be a spiritual hippie type. But there's this broad appeal to things like Save the Children and Great Awakenings. There's almost a hippie-like quality to it, particularly when you tone down the whole MAGA element of, of traditional Q. And it's getting people in there. But Q is not just a conspiracy theory, is it? It is this conspiracy theory that is meant to drag you right after a few months. So your auntie's going to be talking about Make Australia Great Again in six months if she isn't right now. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. And you're back with the Doing Time show. It's approximately 4.48 and we're nearing the end of our show and wanted to say thank you to our guests today. Thank you to Moz and also to Samantha Lee as well. But before we actually finish the show, I wanted to read out, read out a media statement um, and it was actually compiled by the Freedom Socialist Party and Radical Women and I felt that this statement is very appropriate to read out given what's been going on with the pandemic and, and police powers. So the media release, it's, it's entitled, For COVID Safety, We Need Health Services, Not Police. And it's a media statement for COVID safety. Um, sorry, the 16th of October 2020, issued by Radical Women and Freedom Socialist Party. So I'll just quickly read this out. State governments are hitting COVID with a law and order sledgehammer and it's injuring our communities, says Alison Thorne from the Freedom Socialist Party. It has become clear that COVID is a pretext for heavier policing in order to, to quash dissent in these economically hard times. New South Wales and Victoria have become hotspots of heavy policing most recent was at Sydney University, where protests have been building against cuts to higher education. On the 14th of October, New South Wales police forcibly shoved a professor while fining him $1,000 and pushed a student into the gutter, causing cuts and bruises. Previously, the police made arrests and issued fines at a transgender rights protest. In Victoria, police in April charged a refugee protest organiser with incitement and in June fined the organisers of Melbourne's Black Lives Matter protest. Protests are now banned despite these and other organised actions using COVID safety precautions and causing no infection. According to Debbie Brennan from Radical Women, everyone's right to protest must be unconditionally protected, even those of anti-COVID conspiracy theorists. This far-right movement is dangerous and we must oppose it. But if we call on the state to interfere, we allow it to use its power against us. What's not safe is policing, says Brennan. Aside from the outright assault on our civil liberties, there's no social distancing in making an arrest, 
choke-holding someone and dragging them to the ground or storming and occupying a public housing estate. Being followed by drones, CCTVs and vehicle registration trackers is also affecting people's mental and physical health. Thorn adds, if health were our government's priority, then conditions would be consistent for, for sports events and classrooms. In lockdown, we would see health workers in our neighbourhoods. We would be treated with well-funded, state-of-the-art health services. We'd feel assured that they're there for us, serving the community's needs. Instead, we see a health system straining under the weight of the crisis after years of privatisation, outsourcing and funding neglect. We watch grossly overfunded police and defence forces patrolling our suburbs. Armed with lethal weapons and extraordinary powers, they target the most vulnerable. In Victoria, a person who left home to escape violence was fined for a COVID-related breach. The poorest local government areas received disproportionately more COVID-related fines. Racial profiling of black, indigenous and people of colour is rife. This can be solved, say Radical Women and Freedom Socialist Party. We support that democracy is essential. Restore the right to protest in New South Wales campaign. We must assert our democratic right to organise COVID-safe protests. This organising requires clear demands. First, slash police budgets and disarm the police and redirect funding to provide a free, quality public health system. Second, unions must remove police from the movement. Police are not part of working people's communities. They are agents of control, as history and today's events show. Third, establish police review boards, elected from and controlled by the community, with powers to investigate, discipline, prosecute and sack police. For Yeah, so I thought I'd read out that statement because it is quite pertinent um, to what's been happening and the fact is that we do need a health response. In terms of the anti-lockdown protesters, well, there are quite a few there are quite a few views about that, and it is important to oppose that. Um, and we we certainly do not wish to encourage the spread of disease. The media statement um, was was quite pertinent in that it looked quite a lot at what's happening and looking at the increased police powers and I included it because I thought it would be an excellent summary for the show today. Next week we'll hopefully be speaking with Lauren Caulfield um, from the Police Accountability Project. Um, She's been scheduled to come on at four this Monday coming up um, in regards to domestic violence in the police force. So we'll be looking at that very soon. Um, it's approximately 4.54 and you're listening to the Do and Time show. Thanks so much um, again to our guests for coming onto the show. Firstly, thank you to Samantha Lee and also thank you to Moz as well, who is an excellent musician. Do try and check out his music um, on the internet. And Moz is still currently locked in the Mantra Hotel. There have been quite a few protests there. Um, and in particular during the pandemic, which have been stopped and blocked um, quite a lot. But there's also been some online protesting there as well. 
So, yeah, it's sending out a special cheerio to Moz and his his friends in lockup there at the Mantra who are seriously in need of medical attention and because the Medivac bill was taken away by Peter Dutton and his cronies, um, those being the Liberal government, um, that means that the asylum seekers can't get any medical attention. So it's goodbye from Marissa. Stay tuned every Monday for the Doing Time show for, um, between 4 and 5 p.m. And we're going to be going out now with our theme song, Blackfella, Whitefella, um, from the Rumpy Band, and we've got Beyond Zero up next. Bye. A true fella, as long as you are real fella.